0: Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Stay Grounded podcast, a podcasting community helping you stay grounded through all phases and emotions of life. I am your host, Natalie Q, and I am super excited to welcome our second guest, Nicole Torres. Nicole is a first-gen Mexican-American who grew up in El Sereno with her mom and grandma and is a proud Chicana and LA native. She is also the founder of Oresboros Healing and serves as a trauma-informed, intuitive energy worker and transformational self-worth coach. She is an expert at helping high-achieving professionals heal their self-worth from generational trauma and redefine their relationship to work rest, and productivity. Hello, Nicole. Thank you so, so much for being here on the Stay Grounded podcast for this incredible conversation that we're about to have, stay grounding through generational trauma. I think it's such an important subject, especially in our Latino culture to talk about this. So I'm so glad that you are the one here to tell us all about the good stuff, inform us. And before we get started, I just would really love for you to tell us and the community, of course, who's Nicole? You know, who's Nicole Torres? Tell us a little bit about you, who you are, what you do, all the good stuff.
1: Thank you. I am so honored to be here. Thank you for having me on this episode of, you know, Staying Grounded While Healing this topic of generational trauma. My name is Nicole Torres. I am a first gen Mexicana. My, I guess I'm the daughter of immigrants. So would that make me first or second? That's always like the topic, right? My mom and I basically, it was just us together just till from like when I was born till around age, I don't know, like nine or 10. My mom and dad separated when I was like pretty young. I was just a baby. So it's always been us together. And then my grandma moved in. Actually, she came from Mexico to handle some business with her uncle who had passed away. And he lived up in LA and had a property there. So we all ended up converging. And once he passed, that became like home base. So I've been there with my grandma and my mom since 91. Um... I, I consider myself like a creator, an artist. I love music. I have a cat named Khaleesi, so I'm a cat person. I <laughs> identify as a witch. I love all things cosmic, spiritually centered. What else? I love trees. I moved up to Crestline, California. So that's up in the San Bernardino Mountains. I'm from LA originally, East LA, What else? I am now living my dream. I work for myself. I have my own company, Ouroboros Healing, and I specialize in helping women heal trauma and redefine their relationship with work, rest, productivity, and heal their self-worth after generational trauma, whether it's relational or romantic. Well, first of all, I love that.
0: <laughs> Thank you for being in this space, doing the work, and especially with gener- generational trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we need more of these type of healers in the world because it's just—it's so important for, for us to first, first acknowledge, trauma, right, that there is actual generational trauma, mm-hmm. and then to action the healing of it. Which, which is, is, I think that the most difficult yeah. part is the yeah. actioning
1: mm-hmm. of the healing, right? Right, for sure. Um,
0: But before we dive in Mm -hmm. on all of that, (laughs) I would love to ask you if you can clarify for us and for the people, you know, Mm -hmm. sometimes they can be misconstrued on what that is, but what is generational trauma? Can you explain that to our audiences just so they're clear about everything?
1: Sure, sure. It's kind of a big way, like a, a big topic. So there's not one way to like answer it, but I'll do my best. So Generational trauma at the top level is exactly what it sounds like. It's trauma that is passed down through the generations. I like to think of it as an echo. So what I would experience may be very intense, that trauma. And then what my descendants, my child, my first child would experience would be just a little bit less. So, you know, trauma does get passed down through our DNA. That's a fact that's been proven. So it really just creates a sensitivity in the descendants of people who experience trauma, of trauma survivors. So if a grandparent experienced trauma, the parent would have it, and then, I'm sorry, the daughter or son would have it, and then the granddaughter or grandson would have it. So it's just this sensitivity to a traumatic event. And generational trauma, this study, is pretty fairly recent. I mean, it's not like super new, but it first got started with victims of the Holocaust. So survivors of the Holocaust, they started noticing a lot of the people and their descendants having these similar symptoms of fear and almost like PTSD from that experience. So what's what's crazy is that in the article I was reading, children of Holocaust survivors and their descendants have like a fear of German shepherds and the German shepherds were the dogs that were used in by the Gestapo in the Holocaust. And I have a friend who's Jewish and I kind of mentioned this to her and I was like, Hey, did you know about this? And she's like, that is crazy because I fucking hate those dogs. They're super creepy. I can't be around them. And she loves dogs. So it's like, she kind of subtly, I guess, confirmed this, this theory, so in, in that example, that, that would be a similar way of, of this first example where it's being passed down, where the descendants don't have any relation to that trauma, right? They they didn't experience a dog bite or anything like that. The other thing about trauma is that, or generational trauma, is that it's it can be very obvious, right? It can be very... Big T type. So big T is like something we all agree is, is very traumatic, like being a refugee, experiencing war, experiencing domestic violence, things like that. Or it can be very subtle. So this is something like a belief system, for example, something that like, let's say grandma is telling you this story and her kid's story is that your family is essentially cursed or destined to be poor, like, siempre vamos a ser pobres, or whatever, like, this belief system is. If that's continuously told, if this is the story, that's a very, like, you know, insidious way of of passing down this this belief, right? Which changes the way that we perceive ourselves. It could be something like seeing your parent or, you know, uncle arrested, it could be seeing your father and mother have fights, you know. So these types of, of traumas are things that we can witness or we can experience firsthand. And the most important part of this is that it affects us, our psyche, in a negative way, and it affects our life moving forward. And, you know, it's been proven that people who experience trauma, their brain changes. So trauma survivors have a noticeable change in their in their brain makeup. Wow.
0: Thank, Thank you
1: for informing us about yeah, that of because course. I actually had no idea that it was seen in the brain. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. it's
0: important for us to notice these things and how even the smallest T's, like you say, can mm-hmm. be traumas that we don't even recognize for ourselves, and how do we mm-hmm. notice them, right? Like for me, for example, like one of the things that really resonated was "siempre hemos sido pobres." Mm-hmm. Crazy, and and I'm learning how to reprogram my brain into thinking something very yep. differently because mm-hmm. I don't have to always be poor. Like that's exactly, just like not true. I do not see that, that, Grandma. Right. Like it's not it's it's not something that I have to receive. Mm-hmm. I always say it's not my fault, you know, what I experience and what I live, but it is my responsibility to change. Yes. It. Um, snap, snap, snap.
1: Yes, 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 exactly. And this is something that I, as a healer, exactly. you know, in this space, like really, really hold true. Like I hold true to that because mm-hmm. it's, it is our responsibility. At the end of the day, we can't go through the world, you know, unaware and traumatized and and angry and sad and then blame our parents or our upbringing. Like at some point, we have to take responsibility and change the course of our lives, you know? And it is sad because I was just thinking back, like in some ways, generational trauma can be, you know, really tough to get out of. Because let's say that you had a mother who wasn't mothered, who wasn't given the proper nurturing and kindness and that real like affection. And she ends up having another child, you know, her own baby. And she might not know how to give that nurturing love. She might not know how to have patience and things like that. So this is another form of of intergenerational trauma where we just don't have certain tools at our disposal and then we stay like as they say we stay ignorant, <laughs> you know? And then we pass that teaching, that way of life, that way of being, the way of speaking to each other on to the next generation. And that is intergenerational trauma and that is probably the most I would say common. Yeah, I appreciate you explaining that. I felt everything
0: that you were saying. It's funny that you say a mother can have a child and kind of mm-hmm. unintentionally not know how to love them mm-hmm. and not know how to yeah. nurture them. You know, even from a father like from my father I experienced that like Right. It's mm-hmm. very hard for him to show
1: love. right? Like, <laughs> yeah. when I, It's funny. I, I'll tell him on the, I love you. And he's like. That sounds like my dad. I'm like, okay, dad, I love you. He's like, mm-hmm, okay, bye. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. They get so like cringed out. <laughs> just, oh, dads.
0: I totally agree. Yes. Oh, dads. I mean, there's just a, a lot that goes
1: and comes along with that yeah, um, and we can go there like we can unpack, unpack with the with the immigrant dads the latino packing,
0: if you want to start unpacking please do i am not holding you back this is very much what the conversation is about it's about mm-hmm. us unpacking and that kind of leads us to the second question that i have for you In terms of like, what kind of generational trauma are you personally navigating through? Mm -hmm, What have you navigated through that you love to share with us?
1: Yeah, I would say, you know, my my journey has been one of healing an abandonment wound. Both of my parents are immigrants as well. So they immigrated when they were about, you know, 15-ish, 16, and came and did like ESL school and all of that stuff and eventually became citizens but just those two things there were have played like a really big role in my life you know and what's crazy is like that example I gave you earlier that of the mom you know having her kid and not really knowing how to love them and then you jump to the dad like that is a very common I guess, experience where dads don't know how to show up for their daughters, right? And not throwing shade on our community, but we're not really well known for that. Like, Yes, we have really great dads, but they don't love in an affectionate way, in a sweet or kind way. It's very acts of service, and I'm a provider, and I'm strong for you, so fuerte para ti, mija, like all that stuff. My dad's mom abandoned him when he was really young, like when he was a little kid. And she went to a different city to go work and like make money. And, you know, fast forward to my life. Yes, my mom and my dad separated, but we were like, hanging out on the weekends and and having weekend dad time. And then he started his own company, he started his own fabrication company. And I basically stopped seeing him. Like he just stopped, he stopped having extra time, right? Mm -hmm. So that was like a big cut in my my routine. And the thing about trauma, especially with kids, is that trauma in its simplest form is described as like, it's like a bad surprise. It's a shock to our system. So for a kid, it could be as, as simple as a change in routine. For example, one day, you know, you're every other weekend with dad, and then all of a sudden, dad's not there no more. So that, for me, was a traumatic experience. That, for me, changed my perception of stability, dependability, whether my dad loved me or not, you know, like, was something wrong with me? Did I do something wrong? I think I was, like, maybe third grade. So, like, I didn't understand The bigger concepts. I just knew how I felt. So that's something that I've been working through for a really long time because there's always that like fear that someone that I care about is going to leave me. Right. So it's like affected my relationships romantically. Like I have an anxious attachment, like fearful avoidant. Also, I have like the combination. So I'm both fearful and anxious or avoid in a little bit. And it's almost like I would do the first part of being anxious. And then if we got too close, I would be like, no, 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 because you're going to hurt me and you're going to leave me. So that was really a a big part of like my dating experience as like a young 20 something or other. And then, yeah, I would say that that relationship with being a child of immigrants, you know, my mom acclimated pretty quickly. She spoke English. She worked as a social worker and then a counselor and a therapist. So like she made it, like she did the damn thing and worked really hard. But there was for me this, like, I mean, I grew up in East LA, in LA, very close to like, the affluent parts of, like, Pasadena, South Pasadena, and I could see the differences between, like, my community and, like, their community, and I could see the, like, just, I don't know, the, I I felt like I was othered a couple of times, and just, I didn't, I, I got the vibe when I was really young that there was, like, something different about me when I was around certain people, so it's, like, microaggressions that I experienced so I feel like I had to I I internalized a lot of that like that racism and shunned my culture for a little while it was like I'm not eating another fucking tortilla if I can (laughs) like on my life no more beans no more rice like it was just this like it was, it was really interesting. And I had my grandma had like a big talk with me about that. And she was really curious. And that's why my grandma's a, a badass. She was just like, why do you, why do you feel that way? Like, where is this coming from? You love this. And, and I didn't even know it at the time, but it's like hearing the term, like, beaner and, you know, all these things like negative about our culture and all they eat is rice and beans. I probably heard someone say that and then took that and internalized it and was like, I'm never eating that again. That's all they think we eat. So it's, you know, things like that have been part of my journey and like understanding that that was a bit of a tangent, but like what I was initially going to talk about was how like work and my place in, in the world was always sort of under a microscope because I was Latina. And I'm sure everybody that's listening can relate. It's like, not only are you doing a good job for yourself, you're doing a good job for your family. You're doing a good job for every other Latino who they've ever met and ever will meet. Like, the pressure to, like, not fuck up is so real, you know, and it's, it's something that I really felt going into the workforce. I also felt it with my education and like always feeling like, okay, if I can do a good job in school, then I can get a really good job. And then I can get a lot of money and then I can help my family. I can support myself. And all of this sacrifice that my mom and dad endured is going to be worth it. Like, cause I made it, I did it. And like, there comes, there comes like a lot or being the first comes with a lot of pressure. So being the first to graduate high school, being the first to go to college, like, whoo I was the first to go to college. And that was like a big deal, you know? And, and I was like, Oh my God, don't fuck it up. But I was also, like, 19 and just wanted to have fun and party and, like, enjoy my life, you know? So how do you balance that? It's crazy that you say that because,
0: you know, I feel those pressures. I am the first Mm -hmm. person to graduate college in my family. Mm -hmm. I always felt this immense pressure to, like, go. Like, I always thought that I wanted to go to law school. And then Mm -hmm. when the time came, I realized I was doing it. For my family like mm-hmm. I wasn't really doing it for myself it was just like the sense of pride that I yeah wanted to have for me absolutely. and then it took a lot of unlearning mm-hmm. and girl like just so many years of absolutely to really get <laughs> me to this place of security mm-hmm. that being a creative and an artist is also safe in its own way maybe not their safety. And right. I feel like they come from a place of love and like just wanting you to have security. And yes, life. exactly. Right. And I just felt like I needed to reteach them that safety and security and all these mm-hmm. things can look very different. Yeah, absolutely. It um, yeah. doesn't have to look the way that they technically think that it's supposed mm-hmm. to be and of course it comes from like a very loving place mm-hmm. but they don't realize like how much pressure it is mm-hmm. on just one person well thank you so much for sharing that because I feel like I feel so passionate about mm-hmm. that because I I totally can sit in what you're saying and that kind of goes into what I want to ask you next like what tools or what practices or what did you do to begin to heal some of this? And sometimes healing takes forever, guys. Ooh. So just like to the audience, yeah. it doesn't look familiar. And it's something that maybe it takes you 10 years. I'm, I'm not saying that that's what happens, but it could take a long time.
1: Yeah, um, for sure. But
0: what, what were some of the tools did you use in order to begin this this process
1: of healing? Yeah. Yes, thank you for the question. I'll just like piggyback on what you were saying just a few minutes ago about like the healing. Like one of my favorite quotes that I say to my clients all the time is that healing is not linear, it's cyclical. And that's why my company is the Ouroboros. It's a snake, you know, and snakes shed their skin all the time. And it's a regenerative process. It's just they're constantly. Growing and outgrowing, growing growing and outgrowing. So that's how healing has shown up in my life. It's been constant, (laughs) it's constant, it's like never ending. But the cool thing is that, you know, we get to learn from our healing process. So, like, whatever that sacred wound is that you have your whole life. You know, there's, we all have like a core wound, you know, if you know about like the wounded healer and Chiron and all of that, it's one of those Mm. things that we spend our whole life healing, something in our life that gifts us wisdom while we heal. And that doesn't mean that it'll never heal. It just means that we, we evolve with that healing process. So I I really respect Mm. the process of healing. the the transformation that comes with healing. It's not like when I tell people you're gonna heal your inner Nina, that you're gonna spend some time with me and she's gonna be good to go forever and ever, amen. It means you're gonna heal parts of her and learn tools that you can take with you and, and continue the healing process and continue the nurturing process. It's like a plant. You don't just water it and put it in the sun once. You just gotta do it all the time. You're you're diving deep and I'm here enjoying (laughs) (laughs) It's always weird on podcasts because I'm a guest and then I like feel weird because I talk too if I'm talking too much.
0: Everything is about you are the expert here, so I'm loving the fact that you're just like schooling us and like giving us all this knowledge. Mm -hmm. It's really about this is what I want and I love that Mm -hmm. you're just really a part of this and I've been following you for quite some time and I loved your post and I love how you talk about generational trauma and you know, cause it hit my heart mm-hmm. because I totally understand what you mean by it's a process and mm-hmm. we're like, like we, we are, plants, are plants, right? We're like plants <laughs> where we need to water ourselves. And yeah. you know, sometimes, sometimes all you, all it takes is just actually sitting with them for a while mm-hmm. and it sucks. And it's yeah. like, I don't want to sit through this, but once <laughs> you process that, it just very much mm-hmm. feels like there's this next level of healing that comes along.
1: Right, Like yeah. this next yeah.
0: level of, okay, I know now, and so I got to do better. Mm-hmm. So how am I going to do better? For example, again, I go back to this because it's in a lot of Latino cultures, like the no tengo dinero.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom yes. saying, um, we don't have money, since- like in the grocery store. Yeah. We don't have money. That was my first memory with money. I was like, yeah. rude. Uh, same. <laughs> and mom. It's so how <laughs> it stays with us. Yeah, literally for sure. stays
0: with us. And just as adults, like having to transition that thought is so hard. Yeah. yeah. It's hard. Like it takes time. Just recently in the last year, finally, like, yeah, I finally have come to a space where I'm like, I don't believe that. Like I just don't believe that we need to be or que nos quedamos pobres siempre ser What does my grandma That's, say?
1: She would say somos Somos pobres. Pero ricos en amor. (laughs) So we don't have money, but we have love. (laughs) Yeah, and I am such a believer that we can have both. Heck yeah, that's what I would say. I'd be like, Grandma, I want both. What are you talking (laughs) about? Yes, agree.
0: And I give them so much love because they came here with nothing. Mm -hmm. They came here having to learn a new language. Mm -hmm. They have have to come here like really nothing like they came from absolutely nothing so now that they have certain things they're like they don't believe I guess that there can be a next step to it Mm -hmm. but we're here to kind of break those chains right yes break the chains absolutely yeah and for our future generations I I think that's something that's why I think I'm so passionate about this subject Mm -hmm. because it's not only about us we are the future generations, right? Like we are the ancestors Mm -hmm. right now. We are the ancestors that are healing certain wounds so that our future Mm -hmm. kids, generations, culture can change.
1: Yeah, and that's the beautiful Um, part of it is your parents not seeing what you do as being safe or having that security, right? And it's like, we have to really understand that they are coming from their own place of awareness, right? And awareness is what we mm-hmm. need to move forward also. So we have the awareness of like, they're coming from a place where they struggled, like they went through it, so that yeah. we didn't have to, right? And it's almost like we have to remind them like, mommy, papi, ya this. like you did the hardest part you got here, you set up shop, you stabilized the family, you worked your ass off, like, that was all done so that technically, we don't have to do that, so that we can live a better life so that we can live a life without that same struggle. And, you know, that's something that I was talking about earlier with how we view work, like, work for us for children of immigrants is so different than it is for other cultures, like, we see work as like a privilege. Like you better be lucky that you have a job, you know? We don't value rest. We value productivity. We value work. And that's another part of, of my journey and why I do what I do because That led to a really, really like toxic cycle in my life, like this obsession with work and like having to work so hard, like, you know, through manifesting and and changing my beliefs. It was like, I had to unlearn that I could get money only through hard work, only if it was hard. I had to unlearn that you know, you don't get what you want unless you suffer or struggle for it. I didn't in my well, wildest dreams, believe. Huge. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't believe that work could be easy or that you could make money easy. What? That's insane. Like that was just such a concept. Like oh, I still struggle with that. I, I literally, like I'm a recovering perfectionist and I still struggle with my productivity, my work ethic, I'm a business owner now. So I have to be really, really, really aware and conscious of how I spend my time and how I balance my energy and my rest and all of that. So it's all connected. It's all connected, especially with us daughters of of immigrants, children of immigrants, you know?
0: Yeah. And I, you know, I love that you said recovering perfectionist. Because girl, I felt that. Like mm-hmm. I remember when I was in my earlier twenties, I would just like want every. I didn't start a project unless it was perfect, perfect. and if it mm-hmm. was not perfect, I would never finish exactly. it.
1: Exactly. Learned
0: that it was stemming from me wanting to be kind of perfect for my parents. Mm-hmm. You nailed it. You nailed it, girl. That is like what
1: perfectionist my... perfectionism is. That is the root right there.
0: Yes, it and is it wanting is to be validated, validated because even when we go to school, for example, school, when we're young, they expect, they expect us to have, to like, have like A's and B's. and B's. And then if you have like a, a D or an F, that means that you're just like, you're just this failure. You're just like <laughs> not doing well when in reality, maybe it's just not my forte. Maybe right. it's just like, maybe I'm not good at science. Maybe it's not my thing.
1: Maybe, maybe English, the teacher maybe, sucks.
0: Yeah, maybe the teacher sucks. <laughs> so, like, so many like, factors to this perfectionism Mm -hmm. and then Then once i was like in my mid-20s i was like this doesn't make sense like i can't this is just like impossible for me to be perfect all the time right and Mm -hmm. i started allowing myself a little room for
1: failure Mm -hmm. right it was so uncomfortable oh girl yes Um,
0: i was uncomfortable with yeah like just trying new things and doing new things because as a society i think as like a culture like you know kids have to show up in a very perfect way Mm -hmm. Um, yeah and i got tired of having to show up in a perfect way because there's just like no way i can always show up in a perfect way you know Mm -hmm. Um, i love them wanting me to strive for the best yeah but i know for myself at least like for my future kids, I always want to now encourage mistakes. Obviously, not mm-hmm. like mistakes, and I'm saying like failures in mm-hmm. like a pursuit of something. Mm-hmm. Or you know, like if you mess up, let's say in a relationship, there's like lessons learned. Like right. there's just there's just this beauty in allowing our future generations to just admire and love failure.
1: Yeah. I mean, it really is part of the process. If we can like reframe how we see it instead of a failure, calling it a lesson or a place of of education, you know, like, I mean, in science, it is part of the, the experiment. It's an expected part of the experiment. So it's like, maybe this will happen, maybe that will happen, but we're leaving room for the failure, for the experiment to fail. That's expected. Like if we can take that approach, like we, we can expect to fail on any journey that we take. We just have to keep going. It's like learn from a mistake or the quote unquote failure and, and just move on. It's not a, but when we have that perfectionism thing, it's, it goes against everything that we've been trying to maintain, which is why it's so hard for you to start projects, which is why it's so hard for people to finish projects, because that means that now it's going to be up for the world to see, to have, you know, opinions on it, to, for it to possibly be wrong or have a mistake in it. And that's like, it's it's a vicious cycle of perfectionism. It's pretty It's pretty rough. <laughs> I don't recommend it.
0: And it's, it's so crazy how you said one small thing, right? And there's just deeper things to it. It's not just perfectionism, right? Like mm-hmm. it's not just like trying to make everything the best it could possibly be. It comes from like the way you want to show up for the people that you love mm-hmm. and having that responsibility, Having to show up a certain way, yeah. It took my parents, for example, years to actually accept and acknowledge that I am not going to be their lawyer daughter. Like I am definitely mm-hmm. a creative. Like I love the arts. I love connecting with people, mm-hmm. and that is a superpower. You know yeah, what I mean?
1: absolutely. For
0: a long time, it did not feel like it mm-hmm. because, uh, again, again, in our cultures, we're not taught that. That's like a thing that we could do, but. Uh, I very much, I'm like, I'm done. I am focusing on breaking generational chains. And I'm going to start with just being, being quote unquote rebellious <laughs> and being a creative, which I think it's insane. That that's, and I just think that, you know, for our parents, it's just hard to accept that they did all this for their kids to just like do something creative. And it's now mm-hmm. that they're kind of acknowledging <clears throat> wait, financial, you know, gain from this, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Once once they start seeing the fruits is when they (laughs) always, yes, I know. And it doesn't come from like a bad place. It just Mm -hmm. comes from a place of
1: their awareness, their perspective.
0: yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And you know, how do we even, how do these traumas impact us as a whole, right? As a society, like how can we move forward knowing what we know now, how we're aware of these traumas, and how, mm-hmm. how can we move forward? Or how do these impact us? And how do we move forward? Yeah, as, as a society, when we know what we know, right?
1: hmm. Oh, my God, it's such a like, deep question. Oh God, it's, yeah, it's so it's... honestly,
0: I know, Nicole, I know that there's no right answer to this. I just know that you're just so experienced in this field that having your perspective, is it's going to be like a beautiful thing for the audience Mm,
1: thanks well I hope I can answer it well I just have so many thoughts on like you know this not to go dark but like this country was built on the back of trauma like colonization slavery you know yeah all of that genocide like this country and the systems that have been sort of in place to support us as a society have all sort of been created through trauma and through exploitation. So trauma is a systemic thing. Like this nation is a nation of, of trauma. We are very, very sick as the country. Um, It's really sad and it's a really, really big, big undertaking. And I do feel confident in the fact that a lot more people, a lot more shadow workers and light workers are being born into this planet, into this world, and being healers and, you know, switching jobs and becoming therapists and and going back to school and seeing that there's a real, real big need that people are hurting. I mean, the pandemic was a collective trauma, the whole fucking world The whole world experienced this together. We were all on lockdown together. We were all missing our families. We were seeing death. Like trauma can be something as big as a collective (laughs) trauma, like a pandemic, you know? And a lot of people are still barely recovering from that. A lot of people lost health care. A lot of people lost access to medication, to, to actual physical care at hospitals and things like that, you know, doctor's visits. So their health declined, their mental health declined, their emotional health declined. So they're still making that like upward swing, trying to reach like, I guess, their, their homeostasis. But I feel like there is hope we've, I think, kind of also through trauma. We trauma bonded. We connected. We appreciated each other so much more. We, I feel like, connected on this level of, I know what's important. Like, I know what I value. I feel like that for me and a bunch of my friends was, we sort of got back to basics. A lot of people moved because they wanted to go closer to what mattered, family or the environment that they they didn't want to live in the city they wanted to live in the in like on, on a ranch or something so i feel like it was kind of shook us up a little bit in a, in a positive way as well but you know we i think always have to come back to ourselves and you know full circle back to what we said in the very beginning like no matter what happens around us or to us we have to take responsibility for how we move forward and you know, life is too short to be stuck in our trauma and to be angry. And I suffered a lot with that. Like I was an angry teen. I don't know what teen isn't angry, but like that never went away for me. I took that into adulthood and I was like pretty angry and, you know, feeling like life was unfair. And why did I get this family? Why did I get this dad? And this mom and just like being very negative. And for me, that healing journey really just, I think kind of took some time. And like you said, you know, people don't want to go through the healing process. I think a lot of times people are also like in denial. I know I was, I was just like drinking and partying and having fun and funning my way through the pain. (laughs) And like, you know, not being- an active participant in my growth. It was just sort of like riding through the motions, just going through with everything in life and and letting life sort of happen, right? But I think everybody reaches a point where they have to wake up. Something happens. You know, people call it like you hit rock bottom. Maybe it's rock bottom. Maybe it's like, it's a loss of a job or, or maybe, I, I, I don't know, it's different for everyone. For me, it was the, my uncle was diagnosed with, with cancer and I had to move back with my grandma. I got in a car accident. So a bunch of little things were happening in my life. And I, I had to take a real, like hard look at what am I doing? Like, why am I here? And I was running another business. I was fucking exhausted. I was on that perfectionism burnout train, just going through the cycle, absolutely burnt out. And my adrenals were probably pretty tapped. I was just like working on fumes. And yeah, that's when I decided like, okay, I see what's important. Let me check in with my family. Let me get back to basics, quit that business, close that stayed with my grandma through my uncle's transition and really just came back to like center and started connecting with other women. I went to a community called Spirit House Collective in Eagle Rock. And that's run by an incredible woman named Asia Deshore. And She sort of brought a bunch of these healers and mystics and creatives and artists together and did these little workshops. And I started going like every chance I had. I had just gone through a breakup, also. So I was like in a really raw state at that point. That was like my tower moment. And I was like, okay, time to like rebuild, (laughs) time to pick up the pieces. And I was like, who do I want to be? Like, who? who's next, you know, and slowly, but surely started to do the shadow work. And I got really like interested in the occult and all the metaphysical things and spirituality. So that was sort of like my gateway to what I do now, learning about, you know, energy work. That was probably the the thing that sort of launched my career was understanding that we are all energy That we have an energy field, and that things affect our energy, like that was completely new to me. Like I knew we were made out of energy. They would say like we're all molecules. I'm like, okay, whatever, we're all atoms. But I didn't really like get it, you know. So I owe a lot of my my knowledge and my my. the the beginning of my journey to spirit house collective and they're still active You can definitely follow them i would i always sing their praises and asia's incredible and she does such a good job of of helping people and guiding them on this like awakening
0: we definitely have to you have to give me her information so we can put in the description yeah definitely because Mm -hmm. i love sharing things This just seems like it was so impactful Mm -hmm. when you needed
1: it. Oh my God. Yeah.
0: Just, I love sharing information. Yeah. You just never know who we can help. Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, So we'll definitely get you guys on the description part of the Mm -hmm. podcast, just so you guys have it in case anyone's interested. So thank you so much for sharing that information. And in terms of like, what, what just to kind of start somewhat closing out, but what steps should a person take when they start this generational trauma healing process? Mm -hmm. Where, where can we begin? Even if it's like one small step, what is it that you recommend that a
1: person do? I mean, step one is awareness. I'm a big Mm -hmm. proponent of this concept of, of being in a place of awareness and having just that like bird's eye view. So it's like when you practice awareness, you sort of allow yourself to like be the observer and take note of like what you're doing, who's around you, how you're feeling, what was said, what activated you? Why do you feel that? Like just starting to kind of notice things and and ask questions um, for yourself so that you can sort of get that first step of like, okay, when this happens, I feel this. When I'm around this person they activate this in me. And that's really like the first step because that's going to really help you start to understand your emotions, understand your triggers. And, you know, you can also reach out to friends, therapists, coaches, counselors. You can reach out to mm-hmm. me. Find someone that you resonate with who, like, you can feel comfortable talking about this stuff with because part of, our our trauma there's a lot of shame involved so it's that's why people don't want to like really initially do it is there's a lot of shame involved and shame is hard it's hard to talk about it's hard to face but shame and vulnerability kind of go hand in hand and vulnerability is a really beautiful thing that we all need to experience in order to to grow to have this human connection to evolve as a person, you know? And I would say also like moving your body is really important because trauma is also like, it's an event, but trauma affects you as a person. So trauma stays in the body. It's like, it produces all these chemicals and energy and emotions. So those, those emotions get trapped in your body and you got to get them out. So Energy work, releasing, doing a lot of like physical stuff, like running, boxing, kickboxing, hiking, lifting weights, playing sports, anything, just get physical and really start to release that. And you know, you also release endorphins, which makes you happy. <laughs> yes.
0: Wow. Thank you so much for, for those two. Those are actually really, really incredible points. Um, yeah. And for everyone, even if you can do one, Maybe do the other, you know, just yeah. like I always tell people, it's just starting. Just yeah. Start somewhere. It doesn't have to. again. Going back to perfectionism, yes. it doesn't have to look perfect. <laughs> yeah. And healing is actually the most, yeah, most unperfect un- thing, thing that you mm-hmm. can possibly do in your life. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so and especially so, all, these so all these traumas that traumas. we are discussing. So I appreciate you for giving us this input. Before we leave, I do want you to tell us where what you're currently working
1: on. Oh, um, yeah. You know, where can people find you? What's exciting right now and what's, like, really driving me is I am co-hosting a retreat in Jamaica. It's called The Alchemy of Self-Love. Yes. And a lot of the things that we talked about here today are the things that we will be working on and healing and actively, um, you know, moving through as a group together. So that is taking place in Jamaica this summer. It's happening on Monday, July 31st and going till August 5th. We are actually starting group coaching in a couple of weeks though. By the time this airs, I don't know, maybe April 15th is when we start our group coaching. So if you want to join us and have like some really amazing experiences and have time to really dedicate to this deep internal work, I highly suggest that you check us out, book a call with us. I think we're also offering like a bonus for anybody who books a Q&A call with us about the retreat. So, if you book a call, you'll get access to a free masterclass that my co host, Estrada, is with me. So, you can find us at orboris.healing on Instagram or the Vero Estrada mm-hmm. at Instagram also. And what else? You can check me out on my website. I'm actually taking new clients right now for this quarter. So my books are open. I'm very excited about that. I just finished a cohort and my books are open for all the newbies. I would love to support anyone on their journey of, you know, going through this process of healing and transformation. Because when you heal these really big parts of ourselves, you end up transforming into a new version of yourself. So that's what I'm really passionate about is like, you know, I am so, so different than who I used to be even just five years ago, 10 years ago. Like the more that you work on yourself and accept and love yourself wholly and fully, the better you can show up into spaces that you want to be in, into spaces that matter, where you can make a difference, sharing your voice. I mean, it's hard. Like, We all have a little bit of a fear of being seen, you know, but the more that we can integrate that love of self, it becomes easier. And then you can share your magic and your wisdom with other people who need you. (laughs) Like we're waiting for you, girl. Come out.
0: (laughs) I love that. And guys, Nicole is your girl. If you are looking to heal these sides of yourself, I am super excited that you're working on a retreat. This Mm -hmm. is amazing. So guys, I will put everything on the description in case you want to reach out to Nicole, in case you want to follow her and support her work or especially go to this super cool (laughs) retreat. And now to end our podcast, we always love to ask, Three questions. So, are you ready, Nicole? I'm like, oh my right. gosh. Okay. <laughs> the element of surprise. Bring it. Let's go. Okay. <laughs> so, the first one's a little. It's pretty simple. Okay. It is. What's one word that's describing the season you're in right now?
1: Ooh. Mm, 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 mm. One word. Mm. I would say blooming. Ooh, I love that. That's a powerful <laughs> one. I really like that. Yeah.
0: Okay. The second one. One piece of advice you'd want to leave behind if you had to leave the earth tonight.
1: Oh my God. We feel no pressure. Gosh. I'm just kidding. Okay. Come on, brain. Let's think. Say yes more often.
0: Oh, I love that. Okay. And our third is what's the worst advice you've ever received?
1: Hmm. I would say the worst advice was, you don't want to be an artist, because then you'll be starving your whole life. I really uh, wanted to be an artist. Yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I really I want I was like painting in, you know, in preschool and like, loved art was always like, crochet, like paper mache or cardboard cutting, like always making things just really, really creative. And then someone said that and totally like, obviously, because of my like insane issue with like money and lack and poverty is like growing up, I was like, Oh, I can't be starving. So that really like kind of killed that dream. And that's why I went into advertising, because I was like, well, it's kind of artistic, but I could probably make a good amount of money. So yeah, I was I've always been chasing the money until I realized that I was miserable for a really long time. Thank you so much for sharing that because I feel like a lot of people can relate to that. Yeah. It's so common. Mm -hmm. Be an artist. Like, do it. Like, we're in this, like, ridiculous time in in history where, like, you can literally make money doing anything. So the thing that's going to bring you money is your passion. It's your joy for whatever you're doing, not the thing, not the title. It's, like, you can if you're a fucking badass salesperson, you can sell literally anything to anyone. So if you're an artist, you know, go make art, be art.
0: (laughs) Yes. I love that. Well, guys, this is the end of our episode. Thank you again so much, Nicole, for being with us. Thank you to the listeners for joining us in this powerful conversation of Staying grounded through generational trauma. We hope that you got some really good tips on, you know, how to move forward with this. And again, from the bottom of my heart, Nicole, thank you so so much
1: Aww, for thank the you. way you shut up today.
0: I really thank appreciate you so
1: it. much for having me. Thanks for letting me speak and you know hang out with your your crew here. I am sending everyone so much love and just remember, you know. Take it one day at a time. Everything is okay. You're going to be fine. We're going to get through it together. (laughs) Yeah. Have a good day, everyone. Have a good day. Thank you so much for tuning in.